0: Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's word to be challenged and changed. Man, I was just digging this worship music today. Wasn't it awesome? These guys, they did an amazing job. And you... Yeah, and you hear these songs. I mean, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. I mean, that's that's it. That and the third, the song they did before that too is a new song. That song was just blowing me away. I, I'm see, I'm fortunate because I get to hear it five times with all five services so you know you could always come back and hear it again it's okay but um, I'm just I feel especially fortunate so this weekend we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ which is the greatest event in all of human history you have to understand that and you have to believe that I hope by the time that you walk out of here today you'll be convinced that that is that the greatest thing that could ever happen is the hinge point of humanity without which we would be in serious trouble we're also collecting water, and what they've told me is that we are halfway to our goal. We have 12,000 bottles of water that have been donated. I mean, you guys have given so far. We have 12,000 more to go, so we have two more services. And you may be wondering, well, I haven't got my my uh, brought my case of water yet. You can. We're here all well, not all day, but all morning. You can you can after the service grab some, bring it back real quick, and, and help in that effort if you haven't had a chance to do that. But it's our way of. of of blessing um, our, our local families in need and we want to make the largest single donation of water that the All Faith Food Bank has ever got. Now why would we be doing this on Easter Sunday? And I will tell you the main reason is this is because really what it is is, and obviously it's it's helping people out, but it is a living illustration as well. And the illustration is, and I hope you never forget it, is that Jesus Christ is living water. He is water for a thirsty soul. And if you came in here and your soul is thirsty, if you're like you you're, you got these answers or you have these questions that are unanswered, you've got these longings, you've got this stuff going on, and you're not sure just how to to deal with the things going on in your life, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is water for a thirsty soul, and so. Um, wherever you are in life, whether you're walking here as a Christian or you have no idea where you stand, we all have the same disease, guys. We all have the same issues. We all have the same problems. We bleed the same blood. And at the same time, we have the same cure as well. So the same disease, the same cure. It's not like, oh, this truth might be good for you and this truth might be good for me and, you know, you just find whatever is good for you. No, we believe that what's good for, for, for the, a few is good for all. That what's good for me is good for you because we're the same. We're brothers and sisters in this in this human Race that have all been made in the image of God. And so the message that God has for you today is that despite your circumstances, you can experience living water. So the book of John chapter 4, Jesus has this conversation with this woman known as the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. And this woman would come to the well probably every day because back then they didn't have running water. You couldn't just turn the faucet on. So just like doing the laundry or mowing the lawn or doing the dishes was like daily kind of chore stuff that you have to do. Going to get water was a daily chore that you would have to do in order to provide for your household. And so this woman is bringing these large jars of water over to the well to presumably fill them up and and carry them back for the day or whatever else. And she meets Jesus. And this is how the conversation goes. And uh, starting with verse seven, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So presumably there's like racial issues, cultural issues, even gender issues going on here. A Samaritan woman was very low in the totem pole of status, social status. And a Jewish man was rather high. So for a Jewish man to speak to a Samaritan woman was quite a shocker for her. So she's already kind of taken aback by the fact that Jesus would even speak to her, Never, even even, uh, nonetheless ask her for a drink. Jesus answered her, and this is what I want you to hear. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now that phrase is really important. If you knew the gift of God... And you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink. You, you would be the one asking him. And he would give you a different kind of water. He would give you what you're really after. Not just merely your physiological needs, but what you're really after in your life. And so let me ask you this. Do you know that God wants to give you a gift? I mean, do you believe that? Did God actually want to give you a a gift, or do or you just think he merely wants something from you, he wants your money, or he wants, you know, uh, he wants to make your life miserable and boring, or whatever else, and that's really all you want from him. But did it ever strike you that maybe God wants to give you a gift, he wants to give you something that you could not get on your own? And who is it? that this God actually is? Who could it be that this God actually is? You see, people will say, well, if God is real, then why doesn't he show himself? I had so many people ask me over the years. If you know, if, if there's really a God, how come he doesn't make himself more known? And usually what they mean by that is they want God to do something really amazing to kind of blow them away, like do some really huge explosion up in the sky. And it never really occurred to anybody that maybe that's not the way God wants to show himself. Maybe God doesn't want to present himself that way. Maybe that's not who God is. You, just as you're an individual, you have the right to show yourself to people the way you want to show yourself. God has the right to show himself to people the way he wants to show himself. And so for him to do something really dramatic, and and so people go, wow, that God is, he's crazy. Look at him, he's a crazy God. Whoa, that's not really who God is. The heart of God is found in what he actually showed us. The heart of God is in the fact that he showed us himself as one of us. That's crazy. In a way that we could see him, we could touch him, we could hear him. That we could be it. His level because he came down to our level. That is the heart of God. That God would come in humility and relatability and someone that we could see and understand. And you know the problem with religion is that it always demands that we rise up to God's level. That's what religion basically, and even other philosophies of life, there's all of this idea that somehow if we get smart enough or educated enough or holy enough that we can rise up to the level of God, and that's what really God wants from us. But if you look at the way the world works, it's not really that way. I mean, those of you that, that if you've been around little kids, if you have little kids, or if you're an aunt and uncle or whatever, and, and there's a little three-year-old, and they want to give you a hug. Do you say, oh, that's great. I'd love to give you a hug. Well, I'll just stand here and wait until you can figure out how to get up here, and I'll give you a hug. You know, you can get a chair, you can get a ladder, stand up on a table or something. I'll just, figure, I'll just stand here and wait until you figure out how to get up here. What kind of psycho parent does that? <laughs> this is crazy. Parents don't do that. When your little three-year-old wants to give you a hug, what do you do? You get down on their level, and you can see eye to eye, and you reach out, and all they have to do is reach out their arms, and they should be able to hug you. You don't stand there and wait until they figure out how to climb up to you. And yet most people, when they think of God, if they go, well, if there is a God, that's, that's kind of who he is. He maybe doesn't hate us, but he's just kind of standing around watching, see if we can figure out our way to how to get, uh, get up here, get up there to him. But is that the heart of God? It's not. And the, the whole reason for Jesus is to show us that that's not God's heart. And so Jesus says to this woman, if you knew the gift of God and you knew the person who was asking you for a drink, you would know the God of the universe is staring you in the face and wants to give you living water, wants to be the answer for everything that is wrong with your life. And believe me, there were things wrong with her life. Without getting into the entire story, it's an amazing story, and we've taught on it many times here at Compass Church. But what happens is basically this woman, as one commentator put it, she's made a mess of her life. Jesus basically tells her, because he already knows this, and reveals to her the fact that he's aware that she's had five husbands, and and the guy that she's with now, number six, doesn't even really want to marry her. Now, you might say in this culture, well, okay, you know, five husbands, maybe there's a story there, and and who are we to judge? But in that culture, the rabbinical law said you couldn't have more than three You know, you might have one that dies or two that dies, but once you get to your third husband, like, that's it. You know what I mean? You just got to, like, you know, you're done after that. She's gone all the way to five, and then now she's living with a guy, and in that culture, you did not do that. If you lived with somebody, you were anathema. You were, like, kicked out. You You were thought of very, very lowly. And so here's this woman has five husbands. She's living with a sixth guy who obviously doesn't want to be the sixth husband because, you know, who knows what happened to the other five, right? It's like, well, we'll live together, but, uh, you know, you got some bad stuff going on with you. I don't know what it is. But anyway, so this is what, this is what she's got in her, in her consciousness. That every day of this woman's life, she wakes up bearing the weight of her own sin and her shame, And the glances and the the under-the-breath comments. Now, without reading too much into the passage, it is interesting that she is alone. I mean, women are communal creatures, right? I mean, you guys go to the bathroom together and, you know, you do everything together. She's at the well doing a a task that, that all the women in the town would have to do, and she's there alone. Does she have any friends? Does she have anyone that actually wants to be seen with her? And so the picture that you're getting is, a, this is not a high society woman. This is, this is the girl that your mother warned you about, right? This is that kind of girl. So she wakes up every day with the weight of a failed life. And everybody around her knows it. And the person that's supposed to be closest to her doesn't presumably even want to marry her. And why that's important is that you need to understand that in the pages of Scripture, God wants us to know that that's the woman that he approaches. That that's the person he goes after. The person that nobody would have any expectations of to to have anything in terms of a clue about spirituality or hope or anything. Because she is beyond it as far as she is concerned and as far as anybody else in that culture would have been concerned. And the God of the universe starts speaking to her. I says, I want to give you something because I know you're thirsty. I know you're thirsty. This water, you need it to live, but the water I'm going to give you is what you truly need for your life. So I want to give you two things that characterize living water today, and they're very simple. Two things that characterize living water, and it really has to do with Friday and it has to do with Sunday. These two events that happened on Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday are everything. And they characterize, and, and kind of like, you know, H2O is water, the little components come together. You know, I wasn't very good at chemistry, but two hydrogen and one oxygen, is that what it is? I don't know. Um, don't try that at home. You might blow something up, I don't know. Um, but, but I think that's what water is. There, there's really two components of living water and it's, it really has to do with the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so I would say this, number one, because of Jesus, I can be 100% sure that my sins are forgiven. See, again, the problem with religion is that every religion has a claim to take away sin. And so here's what you have to do in order to get it right, right? So God's not really interested in you until you can fix yourself and you got to keep doing it. And most people, even if you're a secular person, there's this idea that if I can just take enough medication or read enough books or get enough degrees or whatever or accomplish enough goals in life, then somehow I can shape society's perception of me so that I will be good enough and accepted by the people that need to be, I need to be accepted by. And I will be seen as a good person. Everybody goes after this in one way or another. It's the way the culture is. But here's the problem. It never works. It never works because there's always something inside you that says that you're not enough. That there's something wrong with you. And the truth of the matter is, there is something wrong with us. And it's called sin. We really are hopeless creatures. Listen to how the Bible describes it in Romans chapter three. Describes a human condition. It says, "None is righteous. No, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Not even your grand." Grandma, right? Well, my grandma, she like makes apple pies and she buys me get- Even your grandma's included in this list, right? Mother Teresa, the nicest people in the world, are included in this list. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes, now, what's so amazing to me is how our society prides itself on tolerance, and we are such a tolerant people, and we're just accepting of everybody, and we've, we've moved past our, our old, you know, um, we've been tethered to religion, and we've been tethered to all this. We now have, we're in this advanced society, we know how to be accepting of everybody. And we pat ourselves on the back as a culture and say, we are so tolerant. And yet on Friday, I was, I, I, had, I was talking with this woman who leads an organization where they go in and they, to schools and they, they train parents on how to deal with social media abuse among teenagers. And she was saying, Tim, you don't understand how bad it is out there. She said, she got these stories of these young girls. She said, you know, because I'm, I'm in my early 40s, so when we were kids, it used to be that, you know, if you have a little dust-up at school, you know, um, you might go home and there might be a couple phone calls exchanged or whatever else, but pretty much that kind of stuff gets left at school. But now because of, the, because of technology and social media, if something happens at school, not only does it follow you home, it gets out on the World Wide Web and people you don't even know know about it. People all over the world can know about it. And so there are these 13-year-old girls who, who will get something, some, someone will go sideways, and they'll get called all these names, and they'll respond. They'll, they'll cut themselves. They'll kill themselves. They'll, they'll be completely ashamed, and the whole world will just will seem like coming down on them. And so what she was saying is that the simple fact is that many of our teenagers have been victims of the meanest and most cruel and vicious attacks on the Internet. Now, why do I bring this up? Because even in an age of advancement, when we're supposed to be so, you know, we're so far beyond, you know, all these, all the, the uh, other societies in the past that didn't know what we know and have what we have. And here's the point. We get the most amazing technology the world has ever known, the ability to instantly connect and share thoughts and ideas. And what do we do with it? We destroy each other with it. Innocent lives, young people, Destroy! You don't even want to leave the house out of shame. We murder each other with vicious hearts. There's nothing wrong with technology. The problem, though, is that technology reveals what Romans is exactly saying. That we really are hopeless in our hearts. You know, it's so funny because my, my daughter, um, she's a little 10-year-old girl, and, and they go to the, she, her and her friends, they, well, She's with a gymnastics group, and so she goes to gymnastics like five days a week, four hours a day. It's crazy. She's doing great, and, and so we have this carpool thing, and here are these little girls. They come out, in little leotards, and they're just the cutest little girls you ever saw in your life, right? And they can flip and do all this stuff, and they're just happy, and, but there's times I'll be in the car driving them home, and these little girls are just the most innocent little things, and I'll hear some of the stuff that they talk about, and I'll go, oh, it's bad. I hope I don't cross one of you guys. Man, and I, I, you said you look at little kids, you go, how could these? How could you call this little kid a sinner? Ooh, just listen up. Because the heart, as it says in Jeremiah, the heart is wicked beyond all things. Who can understand it? And so when we come to God, we come to God in that condition. We don't come to God like, well, you know, God, you know, it's a lucky day for you, because I believe in you. Therefore, you must be real. You know, and if you, if you I, I might just honor you with my life. How about that? Wouldn't that be great for you? No, we come to God saying, God, I got an incurable disease of hatred and violence and lust and pride and greed and anger. I, I can't get past this. If I stood before you, I would not have a prayer. If you let me into heaven, I would ruin it. And God says, I know, I know, but I love you anyway. So I come down to your level because you can't come to my level. That's impossible. It's a stupid thought to ever think of it from the beginning. So I come to your level, like you would want to come to the level of a little child because you at least have that much love in your heart and to assume that I don't is crazy. I have way more than you do. So I come to your level and guess what? I take all of that and I place it on my beloved innocent son and he pays for all that and you walk. So you do not have to fear punishment. You have 100% assurance that your sins are forgiven. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so when your sins are forgiven, they're forgiven once for all. You don't have to say, oh, you know, like every day, God, please forgive me for all my sins and all my, you know. You, your sins are forgiven once for all. Once for all, never to be brought back. That's why it says in Psalm 103, verse 12, for as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And what does that have to do with living water? Because here's the thing, here's, it has to do with everything. Because you can spend your whole life beating yourself up for things you did in the past, and they're gone. Why are you still carrying them? Some of you guys have been Christians for a long time, and you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand how powerful the, the the cross of Christ is. That those things are gone. You try to bring them up. You know, I was at the gym last week and we do the I go to this gym where we do all of our workouts together as a group, right? And so we had to do this thing, it was kind of ridiculous. We had to take these twenty five pounds plates about this big these rubber plates and you had to hold um, them in each hand and it's called a pinch grip and you had to hold them and walk um, or run actually but most of us walk but you had to basically run as fast as you could and and when you added up the, the total distance it was just under a mile so you had to pick these things up and you're tr- and you're walking with them trying to you know trying to trot with them and you're trying to hold these things in your hand and so you know I made a comment because we were out in the parking lot and I said man we must look so ridiculous to people that don't know what we're doing that we're holding these weights and another guy I said, yeah, because we're basically carrying a wheel, right? What kind of idiot carries a wheel? (laughs) It can roll. Why would you carry something that can roll? Why would you do that unless you wanted to punish yourself? Well, we want to punish ourselves, so we carry things that you can roll. Now, as stupid as we might look doing that, you look and I look equally stupid carrying things that we don't need to carry anymore. Why are you still blaming yourself? Why are you still uh, reliving that marriage that blew up or that sin that you committed or that terrible thing? Why are you still reliving that when it's been crucified and died with Jesus on Friday? Why are you still doing that to yourself? I mean, you can, but it's really kind of an affront to God. God's up are like, I don't know, Well, maybe I shouldn't have sent Jesus after all. I mean, obviously you're trying to take care of it on your own. So it brings you this amazing amount of peace and freedom. The second thing is this. Not only can I be fully assured that my sins are forgiven, but I'm 100% sure that I will beat death. Oh, you'll beat it. But not because of yourself, but because of Jesus. Because Jesus rose from the dead with a body that can never die. And because of that, I only have good days to look forward to. You know, a lot of us feel when we look back on our lives, especially as you start to get older. When you're really young, you're not there yet, and I get that. You're like, "Man, I got my whole life!" But all of a sudden, like it just turns quick, and all of a sudden you start looking back and you go, "Whoa." And there's, it's very easy for a lot of us to say, man, if only I would have done this differently. If only I would have done that. If only I would have, you know, like Bugs Bunny said, made that left turn at Albuquerque, if you like those old cartoons. Um, you know, if only I would have just turned back way, then, then maybe my life would have been different. And so it's very easy to live with this, this low-grade regret because you only have so much time in your life to live. And so people start making bucket lists, and they start doing kind of wild and crazy things because they have this compression of time that's left, and you don't know how much time you have. But the reality is, is I think all of us deep down inside, we know we're made for more than this life. We know that. I mean, you may not. Maybe you're like one of these like, oh, 80 years, one and done, I'm good. But if you ask me, that's really short-sighted and kind of pathetic. I mean, that's that's all you think you are. If all that comprises you can fit into 80 or 85 years— even 117. Did you hear the, the woman, that, the, the last woman that was born before 1900 just died at 117? Wow, 117 years. That's nothing compared to how we were made to live. Because the reality is, guys, your capacity to love is greater than everything you could love on this earth. Your capacity to learn is greater than everything you could learn on this earth. Your capacity to live is greater than any life that could be lived on this planet. And so we have this death problem, and we say, what becomes of me? What, where do I go? What, what what happens? There's some people that believe in reincarnation, you know? Like, you know, I come back as a, as a fruit fly, or a Harley Davidson, or Oprah Winfrey, or who knows, right? But the problem with that is like, oh, it's a nice thought, well, I come back someday. But, but you don't come back as you, and I don't think we want that. I mean, I think most of us would say, listen, what I really want in life is I, I want to be me, but just a better me. I want to be me, just a me without all this crud, without all this burden, without this this, this pain of death, without these medical problems, without without this, this wall of, of, of uh, my heart stopping and the last breath facing me, without my friends dying, without this world that has all this terrible stuff in it. I, I want to live but as I was made to live. And if you sense that at all, then you understand the reason for the resurrection. Because the whole reason for the resurrection is Jesus saying, yes. You were made for more. Yes, there is life beyond. Yes, those little subtle inklings that you have like, why is this world so great and it sucks at the same time? Because this world's not your home. You were made for somewhere else. And Jesus is the one who shows us the way. So he's crucified, but death can't keep him because he did nothing wrong and the reason we die is because of sin. The Bible is very clear about that. Sin brings death. Jesus ever sinned, therefore death can't keep him. He's raised from the dead with a body that cannot die. And he Here's what you have to understand. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this. Now, you have roll with me, but this is an amazing, this is heavy heavy amazing great stuff. The first man was from the earth, i.e. Adam, a man of dust, right? He dies. He's made of dust like us. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, and is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And here's the kicker. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So in the same way, the you you resemble your father who resembles his father, who resembles his father and you're made in the image of your father all the way back to Adam and you can be sure that that is the case with the same certainty and same uh, absolute assuredness you could also know that when you are in Jesus you are born in his image as well which means it's guaranteed that you will live as he lives now that's it and so for you and me Death is not the end. I mean, it's a terrible thing. It's a very bad thing. It rips lives apart. It causes unmentionable amounts of grief. But it's not the ultimate. It doesn't win in the end. Jesus wins. And you win. And I win. Because death can't beat us. Death died on the cross. And the question you have to wrestle with is, do I believe that or not? Because this is not an easy message. You know, if you just want to be one of those people who goes, I only believe stuff when I can just see it, you know, like with my own eyes, and, and you know, I'm not going to be someone that has faith because I think faith is for weak people. Really? Faith is for weak people? No, cynicism is for weak people. Cynicism is for pathetic people. People have closed little hard hearts that are too afraid to actually look in the mirror at, at what they really see in front of them, someone made in the image of God who was made more for this earth. That's for weak people. The people who believe that this life is not all there is, that there's something more, and that there is a God up there who did make himself known. Maybe not the way you wish he would have, but the way he truly is. Humble as one of us, became one of us to talk to us, to hear us, to understand us, so that we Could finally know him. This is not the end. So, I want to give you an opportunity to do several things. First of all, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus simply by saying, Hey, I believe. Easter, Sunday, 2017, I place my faith in Jesus. Some of you need to do that today. Some of you need to even take a a more dramatic step. Of course, that's very dramatic. We have a baptistry set up outside. Now, I know some of you are in your Easter best. That's okay. We have clothes, we have swimsuit, we have shirt, we have towels to give to you. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask those of you, what what better, I mean, the whole concept of baptism, it's a symbol, it doesn't save you, it's a symbol. It's like my wedding ring, right? Tell everybody I'm married, you know? I mean, before I wore this, I had ladies throwing themselves at me all the time. (laughs) Finally, I picked one. I put this on, and now they back off, right? It says, "Hey, I'm married." It's a symbol, right? Baptism—that's <laughs> the first joke I cracked. The whole sermon that anybody really laughed at. <laughs> Easter's intense, you know. Um, <laughs> so, so what happens is, baptism is a symbol. It's a, it's a, it's an outward demonstration of an inward transformation. Okay, and so you go out there, you're buried with Christ in baptism and raise up to new life and if you want to do that we're prepared for it we have staff out there to again to give you a towels to give you a swimsuit you get a t-shirt get to keep all that stuff and uh you you can um, remember this day easter being the day you got baptized if you have if you're a christian you haven't been baptized this is your time to do it. i'm going to be out there too i'm going to put my little t-shirt on we'll, we'll go and it's going to be great in just a moment but i want to give those of you an opportunity first to receive the grace of jesus before you get baptized maybe you want to receive jesus and go out and get baptized right away great and say, I'm today I'm making it real. But go ahead if you wouldn't just bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment. Everyone, just between you and God, I want to lead you in this simple prayer. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I want to say yes to Jesus. I know I need my sins forgiven. I know I cannot, I've, I've got to let go of this stuff. I don't want to be responsible for it anymore. I want that living water. I want that living water. Then right where you are, just say, God, I believe that you are living water. And today I receive your gift of Jesus Christ into my heart as my Savior and my God. God, I place my sins on the crucified Lord and ask that you would wash them away forever and that I could walk free. And from this day forward, I believe that through you, not even death will beat me. That I will live as I was intended to live with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.cobleschurch.info and we'll see you next time.